Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on cagesidepress.com. I'm Danny Gooby Freeman, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC is back in the apex after an exciting UFC 280. This week we've got UFC Vegas 63 headlined by Arnold Allen and Calvin Cater. As always, we'll be giving you our breakdown of the main event as well as two other of our favorite main card fights. As part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. Plus, we're giving you guys the interviews you know and love. Kicking off the show this week is Josh Fremd, who fights this weekend. And we've got an interview a little bit later on with Garrett Armfield, who sadly was supposed to fight this weekend, but had to pull out due to an injury. Nevertheless, we decided you guys deserve the content. We've got the content. We'll bring it to you. And speaking of all of that content, I'd be remiss if I did not mention that this episode of the Top Turtle MMA podcast is brought to you by Picket. Picket is the social betting platform that allows you to sync all of your action from the sportsbook accounts in one nice, neat little place. Not only that, but you can stay up to date on all of the bets that your friends are dropping and show off your big scores as well. It's a great place to both interact, but also to build a following if you're an up-and-comer in the betting sports world. Or if you're a well-established veteran, hey, maybe you're looking to expand that audience this is a great place to do it. And Picket is so awesome when it comes to this kind of stuff because they're extremely private and secure. You never have to worry about your information winding up in the hands of a skeezy third party, and you can hide anything that you want from the public, including like dollar amounts. You want to work with unit sizes? Work with unit sizes. But really, there are infinite reasons to love the Picket app. So whether you're a new, regular, or an experienced better, stop what you're doing and join the Picket community today by downloading the Picket app in either the Google Play Store or the App Store. Pickett brings you this episode of the Top Journal MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Josh Fremd, who fights Trey Sean Gore at UFC Vegas 63. That fight takes place on October 29th. So, Josh, I-, I wanted to start here. Obviously, not the kind of debut that you want. You get it on crazy short notice against a very high-level opponent in Anthony Fluffy Hernandez. Although that's not the way anybody wants to come to the UFC, it's kind of the way that people do come to the UFC nowadays. What were sort of your big takeaways from that fight? Uh my big takeaway was that uh, even though it was short notice and, you know, I wasn't 100% prepared, like, I still felt like I, – I, I still feel and still believe that I could beat Fluffy and I belong up in those brackets of those uh, higher-level guys in the UFC. Um, and overall, just it was a great experience. I mean, it was – Besides the result, like take the result out of it, it was a dream come true. It was everything I dreamed about since I was like 12, 13 years old. So it was a great, great experience, and I'm I'm looking forward to building off that. Yeah, well, and I want to ask a little bit more about that short notice fight, but something you said there sparked my interest. You've dreamed of being an MMA fighter and fighting in the UFC since you were 12. What? how, How did you know so early that that's what you wanted to do? Well, it was always between baseball and fighting. Like, I played baseball from a very, very young age, and I found MMA on Spike TV. Uh, 
I was Matt Hughes, and then I just got absolutely – I just fell in love with it because it was a very individual sport, and you didn't really have to depend on anyone. And after uh, a couple – a couple run-ins in like junior high and high school of getting into fist fights, I realized that I'm pretty good at this, so I should probably go start training. And that's when I joined up in wrestling and then eventually boxing. And then uh, I was going to go play football at college, but uh, some things happened and I decided to jump, uh, take the train to uh, MMA. And that's here we are a couple years later. That's awesome. Now, I'm, I'm curious, because you said that you were a baseball guy, but now you're talking about playing football in college. W- was it just that baseball in college wasn't an option, or did you fall out of love with baseball early? Uh, no, it was, a, it was an option. Um, a lot of politics went into my junior and senior year of baseball, so uh, I had a better offer to play somewhere in football, so I was going to pursue that, but... Uh, Decided against it once I ran into uh, Steve Mallory uh, up in Pittsburgh. And then uh, when we became best friends and I started training with him. And and it's the beginning of a a lifelong journey of wanting to uh, make it to the UFC. Awesome. I I love hearing that. Now, I I do want to bring it back to – actually, this ties in well with with Steve Mallory, who's an absolute giant, because you're not a small middleweight, right? Like, you're 6'4 at middleweight. What was, was it really hard for you to make that limit on short notice? Did that take a lot out of you in the fight? Uh, I mean, not really. I don't, I don't want to say it was crazy hard because, I mean, I'm a skinny guy. It's not like I carry a bunch of extra weight. I used to be big when I was playing football, lifting heavy, but I don't I don't pass like 208, 210 most days, so... It, it was a little rough because, you know, I wasn't eating and preparing for a weight cut, but you get an opportunity to fight on ESPN and in front of a crowd, your first UFC fight, you make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I also heard you mention, you know, the Pittsburgh area in here, and, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you a bunch of Pittsburgh-esque questions. And the first one I want to ask is, I'm a guy who loves a good nickname story, and I know when you got called out for your first UFC fight, I didn't see a nickname, didn't hear a nickname announced. But if you look at Tapology, and I know I've heard it on the regional scene too, I've heard you referred to as the Big Yins. So for for people who don't know Pittsburgh slang and people who don't maybe follow Hunter Homestick on, on Twitter, can you tell us a little bit about, first of all, what is a Big Yins and uh, how it is that you came to that nickname? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yins is just something that uh, we Western PA people use to, instead of uh, y'all, like Southern or most people say y'all, we say Yins, just a group of people or uh, multiple people you're talking to. I didn't I didn't have a nickname uh, throughout amateurs or most of my pro career because I wanted one to just come on naturally and I'm not the type to create my own. Uh, and when I moved out here to... Colorado out to Denver I just you know people started picking up on like what the hell are you saying what, what's the yins like what are you saying and then my uh buddy Jordan Kurtz who I do a radio show with he uh he's the one that deemed that my nickname and I don't know who put it on tapology but someone did and that's just what they uh they call me now because out here they're not used to hearing people say that I love it I love it now so I, I gotta know are you representing it? Are you bringing it to the UFC cage come October 29th? 
Ah, uh, that's actually no one's asked me that question yet. You know what? I think I might. I think I might, and uh, we might fix my uh, my you know fighting out of Englewood by way of Pittsburgh. That'd be. I'd like to get that in there. That'd be cool. I love it. I love it. Now I, I gotta ask one more Pittsburgh area question because. You know, you came to your first ever UFC fight week rocking the Pirates pinstripes. We're now in football season. The Steelers, maybe not the hottest team in the league right now, but are you coming rocking a Kenny Pickett or are, are you wearing some sort of Steelers gear to fight week this time? Yeah, I got something, I got something planned out that I'm going to wear. The Steelers might not be doing too hot right now, but... You know, I grew up with a winning culture, and I'm not going to abandon my team because they're having a little bit of growing pains. And, you know, we had a Hall of Fame quarterback leave us. That's uh, that's just the way it goes. And uh, as sports fans, you know, everyone knows it's ups and downs, and I've known mostly ups in my Steelers football life. So, yeah, I got something. I, I love it. I love it. Now, I'm going to ask you one more Steelers question, and then we're going to get to talking about Trajan Gore. But – What's your stance on Kenny Pickett? Is he the future? Is he the guy? <laughs> I uh, I was riding the Mitch train high when he first got here, and I, I still think that, you know, he played very well. I think there's a lot to be said about our offensive coordinator, but that's for another day. Uh, I love Kenny Pickett. I'm riding with Kenny Pickett. I think the dude's a dog, and uh, I think he is the future, and I'm excited to see him and George Pickens and everyone grow. I love it. I love the I love the loyalty. Now let, let's get to talking about your fight because that's what people came here to listen to. And you're getting given a guy in Trayshawn Gordon. Like you said, you you just hung up there with Anthony Hernandez, did 15 hard minutes with the guy, and, and now you're up against the guy who's definitely got way less fights, definitely has got a little bit less shine on his name right now. And in fact, it, he, he's fought so few times. There's kind of not much out there to watch on him. What are sort of your early impressions on Trayshawn Gore, both as you know, the opponent they offered you and what you've seen of him in the cage. Yeah, I mean, just like you said, there's not much out there to watch of him. Just uh, some of the stuff on Olsen's on top and uh, his two fights in the UFC. Yeah, he's just very young. He's very young in the sport. And, uh, you know, that's what's going to happen when you get pushed really quick to certain things. And, you know, that uh, the ultimate fighter that season was not stacked by any means. So, it's understandable where he got through. Um, I just, I think that I'm going to have a guy who's backs against the wall and he's going to be coming out and he's going to leave everything out there. I think because this is pretty much his last shot uh, at keeping his job. And I, I believe myself, it's my last chance of trying to keep my job in the UFC. I'm, I'm not stupid. I know how this business goes. If I go out there and I lose to Trayshawn, I might not have a job. So I'm going out there with my back against the wall as well. So it's going to lead for a really fun fight. It is definitely going to make for a really fun fight. And before I let any of my fighters go, I always like to try to get a prediction out of them. Do you have a prediction for how this one ends with Trayshawn come October 29th? Yeah, I'm knocking him out. I'm not letting him leave that cage. Uh, without losing his consciousness for a little bit and me getting my hand raised. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Ben Josh Remd, who fights Trayshawn Gore at UFC Vegas 63. That fight is on October 29th. Josh, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. That was fun shooting the shit with you, Dan. I hope you have a good rest of your day. 
Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Josh Fremd. I once again am Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, let's start here. We obviously have to talk about UFC 280 this past weekend. The seemingly biggest talking point that comes out of that is Sean O'Malley winning a split decision over Piotr Jan. Not a lot of people agreeing with the judges. What were your thoughts on both the scorecards and the fight itself? Okay, I don't agree with the judges. I think when someone has six takedowns, knockdowns, more knockdowns, six takedowns to zero, I mean, to me, just scoring it at home, I had Piotr Jan. That being said, I have not gone back and watched it. I need to do that before I light into the judges anymore. But stepping back a second, just from the fact that I thought he won, as did everybody else, and if you go to MMADecisions.net, it's unanimous that every media member thought he won as well. 26 to nothing. (laughs) 26 to nothing. It was close. Let's all not forget that there are there is a case to be made. I don't agree with that case, but there is a case to be made for O'Malley, and O'Malley certainly belongs near the top of the division. He did not get finished by Piotr Jan. He's got a lot of intangibles and skill sets for that division. You know, his length. Uh, he can, you know, more or less grapple and his striking is very good. So am I happy with it? No, but eh, O'Malley's at the top of the division. So we were going to get a title shot from him eventually anyway. Uh, I don't know. Where, where do you go with it? Yeah, I, I'm with you on this fight was a lot closer than people gave it credit for. Like I, I did score it for Piotr Jan. I thought he won rounds one and two. I thought Sean O'Malley won rounds three. I did go back and watch it, and round one was a lot closer than I had remembered it being. Like, I I, I no longer think it's quite as egregious that two judges gave Sean O'Malley round one. Um, You know, he, he like, landed some sharp strikes in there. Piotr Jan was, like, maybe not as busy on the mats as I had originally remembered him being. That being said, I still gave it to Piotr Jan, but I I get why it was close. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, you know, you you mentioned in there his grappling. I I really think that that was maybe the most impressive part of Sean O'Malley's performance is like how often he stuffed the grappling of Piotr Jan or turned it into scrambles. And that really makes him maybe one of the more dangerous guys to fight Aljamain Sterling. Like Aljamain Sterling has an insane reach. He's not going to have that kind of reach advantage against Sean O'Malley. Uh, you know, like, he obviously wants to take you down and grind you out and do his jujitsu game. If Sean O'Malley can stuff that, that might make him one of the better options to try to beat somebody like Aljamain Sterling. So, uh, yeah, I, I, again, I, I don't agree with it, uh, but I think a title shot between Aljamain Sterling and, and Sean O'Malley sells like hotcakes and. It, it might be one of the harder matchups out there for Aljamain Sterling right now. Yeah, I agree completely. And I'm I'm excited about that fight. And Jan will be right there. The other thing is, listen, first of all, O'Malley, if Jan was declared the winner, and I'm trying to just look on the bright side because, and I know this is awful to say if you're in Jan's camp, if you're Jan, if you're Jan's manager, but if Jan had beaten O'Malley, O'Malley's not going away. It doesn't end the national O'Malley nightmare if you're someone who hates O'Malley. He's going to be at the top of the division anyway, and you can't match up Jan and Aljo again, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't think it's – not, not yet. Not yet, at least. 
so it doesn't really mess with you know much of anything now we should also talk about because we've already brought up his name aljo it's a natural extension to just say that fight was ridiculous i'm sick of people doubting aljo um you just can't do that we've been on his hype train since he entered the ufc he's a friend of the show but that all being said with tj TJ's shoulder, apparently, um, I think it was um, one of his training partners, I can't remember who it was right now, said he could barely lift his shoulder during training camp. Hey, TJ, don't waste our time then with a title shot. If you can't lift your arm and you knew it was going to so easily pop out or there was that good of a chance, I mean, just you. I feel like it was incumbent upon TJ to just step back from that title shot. Now, I get why he doesn't do that. He's, you know, trying to be a warrior, and he probably just wanted the money. But it's just unfortunate that it was kind of a waste of a title shot. That being said, I still pick Aljo against him, even if he was healthy. Yeah, we picked him in the first place. And and you actually touched upon two things that I think are so important from that fight. The first one being, uh, you know, he, he was trying not to pull out and he was trying to be a warrior. That very met well may be the case. If that is the case, it was probably because he didn't really deserve the title shot in the first place. Uh, and, and that's not to say that there was somebody else, like, obviously waiting in the wings. But since he had come back from his his uh, PED suspension, do you know what his record was after coming back from his PED suspension? It was one and with a one and zero with a split decision win over Corey Sanhagen, in which Corey Sanhagen popped his knee out. So you know, like, what are we giving him a title shot for at that point? He's probably and, and not to mention too that was almost a actually over a full year before this fight was. So. If he pulls out of this one, he's definitely fighting again before getting a title shot. So, first of all, I would say that's a real possibility. Second of all, if he chooses to fight through that and it doesn't go well, I'm fine. I'm fine with him deciding to do that because it's his shot at the title and it's what he thought he needed to do to, to maintain that shot at the title. But then don't sit here and give me all of this crap about how, like, you're not 100%. You're the one who chose to go through with the fight. You're the one who chose not to pull out because you were worried about the repercussions. You're the one who made the final decision to step in the cage that night. And if you weren't your best, that's nobody's fault but your own. So stop putting it on Aljo. Let Aljo celebrate this victory because he beat the shit out of him too. That's the other thing. Yep. Um, let's talk Charlie Olives and Makachev. Uh, we predicted this. Uh, I mean, not saying that's so amazing that we predicted it, but um what I think is just sort of LOL about the whole thing. And Charlie Olives will be back. He's a fun fighter. He's had a really nice run. He can have some, you know, just fun matchup fights, maybe try to re-earn himself a title shot with a couple of wins, one win, two win, whatever. I don't really need to see that rematch. I think that happens nine out of 10 times if they, if they match up against each other. But now having announced Volkanovsky, I was as the next title challenger at 155, I was more intrigued by Volkanovsky versus Charlie Olives. We spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. I don't, I mean, I just think Makachev's going to body Volkanovsky. Volkanovsky would really have to leave that fight standing on the feet for, you know, into the fourth and fifth round to tire Makachev out and have uh, have a chance. I just, I'm not even excited by that title fight. What about you? Uh, I mean, a little bit. I, I think, you, you know, to, to your point, I, I think he would do a lot better on the feet, obviously. He would prefer that this not go to the ground. But also, he's not a dude who's really easy to take down. Um, you know, like, uh, apart from, you know, Brian Ortega going two of five, the dude hasn't surrendered a takedown since he fought Chad Mendez 
you know, half a decade ago at this point. So, like, and, and granted, he hasn't fought a lot of guys who want to take him down either, right? Jose Aldo, Max Holloway, Chan Sung Jung, not really trying to take him down. But, like, he does a pretty good job of keeping his feet. So, could I see him maybe giving him some trouble? Yeah. Also, like, I know some people are pointing out that he's small. He's short. He's not small. Uh, because he looked ripped at 155 when he weighed in to be the replacement. And I think his reach is longer than Islam Makashev, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, despite the fact that he's much shorter. So, yeah, like, I do think it's maybe not the most exciting matchup. Like, I would have rather seen Oliveira versus Volkanovski. But at the end of the day, like, does somebody else stick out as, like, the clear number one at either of their weight classes right now? Yeah, and that, that for me is why I'm okay with this. Like, I hate super fights. I'm, like, the biggest detractor of super fights in the whole world. But right now, you've got a mess at featherweight, right? You've got the fight we're about to talk about, Arnold Allen versus Calvin Cater. The winner of that's probably close. Josh Emmett's probably close. Yair Rodriguez is probably close. But none of them feels like they have to have the match right now before they win another one. And you could say the same thing about lightweight. But Neil Dariush probably came as close to earning a shot as he could but at the same time like you know he beat the number what is Matthews Gamrot number nine guy in the division and then of course you got the Poirier and Chandler guys at the top of the division you know about to win again and maybe having a fresh matchup with Makashev now instead of a, a completely random one or you know a completely random rematch with Charles Oliveira so like there are some options but again nobody by far ahead of everybody else let things shake each other out. Let them duke it out. And, and like like you said, it feels like Makashev's probably going to defend. We go back to the divisions being what they are. Yep, totally fair, totally fair. And I'll tell you what else is totally fair. It's Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, our favorite segment on the show. We got to break down a couple of fights, give you a live dog to play, and a parlay to play for this weekend's fights. But Gumby, before we get into it, one may wonder if any company sponsors this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Absolutely. Fight, Sex, and Parlay is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Alrighty then, let's start talking about UFC Vegas 63, which is headlined by Arnold Allen, a minus 125 favorite, and Calvin Cater, a very slight plus 105 dog. Cater, the Massachusetts product, is actually 34 years old, which is getting up there in fighter years. Is coming off a loss to Josh Emmett, albeit via split decision. He beat Jiga Chikadze, stopped Jiga Chikadze's hype train. Someone we are both very high on. Lost to Max Holloway before that. So he's had top flight ca competition. Has uh, Calvin Cater in his last three, and he is one and two. Uh, and now going against Arnold Allen. Arnold Allen, at one time, I feel like everyone thought he was the hot prospect on the block. You and I were very high on him. And then, you know, I feel like the hype train maybe took a little step back. So... Uh, that being said, he's on a massive win streak in the UFC. In fact, he is 9-0 and in the UFC. Uh, wins over Dan Hooker, Sadiq Youssef, Nick Lentz, just going back to January of 2020. But 9-0 and in the UFC. And just a slight favorite here. Who you got? 
You know, this is weird. It, it's gone back and forth in the odds. Uh, Arnold Allen actually opened as the underdog. Calvin Cater has moved into the underdog. I've actually switched back and forth a couple of times here, too. But I'm going to pick Arnold Allen, actually. Uh, I, I did really like how uh, Calvin Cater looked against uh, Josh Emmett. I think Josh Emmett probably lost that fight, if I'm being honest. And that's probably why he's not getting that title shot we were talking about. But I, I just think that Arnold Allen has got a few more ways to win. While Calvin Cater kind of like worked in some of that wrestling against Giga Chikadze, I really can't see him doing that with Arnold Allen, especially because Arnold Allen has got like low-key, like a really good submission game uh, that I think a lot of people forget about because, you know, like he busted it out earlier in his career and we like haven't seen it in a little while. Um, he's got a really good submission game. You know, he showed he could outpoint a really good striker and somebody like Sadiq Youssef. He also showed he's got crazy finishing power like he did against Dan Hooker. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm done doubting Arnold Allen because I've done it a lot of times, uh, you know, after long layoffs and stuff like that. But, like, I, I'm going to go with him here. I think it's an ever, ever, ever so slightly unanimous decision or even maybe split decision over five rounds. It's going to be a close one, but I'll take Allen. Also taking Allen, not going to add on to anything you said there. I think that's a great breakdown. Um, but it is a close one, and it should be a good fight. Max Griffin is a minus-190 favorite, taking on Tim Means, uh, who's a plus-160 dog. Our boy Means, the Dirty Bird, is 38 years old. He debuted in the UFC in 2012 on a UFC on Fuel TV card. That's insane. That's how far <laughs> back he goes. Um, in his last three, though, he's uh, two and one. He's coming off a uh, submission loss to Kevin Holland. That was to Darstroke. But he beat Nicholas Dalby, beat Mike Perry, and beat Lariano Staropoli before that. So, really, he's three and one in his last four. You'd have to go back to a guillotine choke loss to Daniel Rodriguez back in February of 2020. So, a three-fight win streak sandwiched in between two losses. Trying to get back on the right side of winning – at age 38, and he's going to have a tough day at the office against Max Griffin. Griffin coming off a split decision loss to Neil Magny, but before that he reeled off three wins in a row, uh, including wins over Carlos Condit, the legend. Uh, lost to Alex Oliveira via split decision before that. So he's three and two in his last five as Max Griffin. Who are you taking here? I'm going to take Max Griffin. I, I think th there's a reason he's a favorite here, and it's because both of these guys prefer to box. And when they do, I just think Max Griffin hits so much harder than Tim, Tim Means does, especially at this stage in his career. T Tim Means kind of seems like he's lost a little power. And it's worth noting, Max Griffin, not that much old, or younger than Tim Means, but a lot yeah, less but a lot less miles on the tire, it feels like. You know what I mean? He's been in less wars, so to speak. So, yeah, like, I, I think here, you know, he looked pretty damn good against Neil Magny. He he knocked out Song Kanan. He knocked out Ramiz Brahimai by, like, taking his ear clean off. I think he just hits harder. And at the end of the day, too, should Tim Means be getting the better of the striking on the feet? I, I think then we just see Max Griffin go to a little bit of that wrestling that we know he has deep down. And I think he's got the advantage there, too. So give me Max Griffin, even at minus 190. Dustin Jacoby, a minus-165 favorite to Khalil Roundtree, a plus-140 dog. Roundtree on a two-fight win streak right now. He hopes to keep that going. Dustin Jacoby on a really, it's, you know, he's on a four-fight win streak, a draw against Ian Kutaleba, and a four-fight win streak on the other side of that draw. So 8-0-1 in his last nine. Really impressive from Dustin Jacoby. Who are you taking? 
Yeah, I think he's one of the most critically underrated dudes in the UFC right now. Because uh, you don't put a run together like that in one of the, like, big puncher weight classes, right? Because that's what light heavyweight is. That's where everybody throws absolute hammers. And somehow he's avoided all of them. And it's because he's such a technically good kickboxer that he can stay away from the big shots. And I think that's why he beats Khalil Roundtree here. Roundtree may have a power advantage here. Uh, And in fact, I'm pretty sure he does have a power advantage here. But the thing about the power advantage he has over Dustin Jacoby is he's got to hit him. He's got to hit him and he's got to hit him flush. And we saw Dustin Jacoby not only is elusive in the first place, but even when he was hit in that Ion Kudalaba fight early on, he's got an amazing chin, great recovery, and he comes on stronger even after he gets hit. So I think Dustin Jacoby kind of avoids anything early that uh, Khalil Roundtree gives him. And then we see him really start to rack up the uh, the strikes as the fight goes on and, and takes care of him here. I like it. Our dog of the week is Andre Arlovsky, a favorite of yours. Let's hear it. Yeah, he is a favorite of mine. I'm taking him here over Rogerio DeLima because what what I've seen out of DeLima so far is he seems to lose to anybody with any kind of ground game or who isn't willing to engage him in a wild brawl. Uh, you know, Blagoy Ivanov just picked and moved and beat him pretty easily at UFC 274. I see Andre Orlovsky doing that same exact thing here. I think he just stays away from Rogerio de Lima, probably frustrates the hell out of him. This may be one of the more boring heavyweight fights you ever watch, but I think Andre Orlovsky wins at 30-27, and at plus 150, why not take a stab at him? Why not take a stab at him? Our parlay to play is Josh Fremd, a minus 190, and Jun Young Park, a minus 240. So, you know, hovering just under two to one favorite for Fremd over a two to one favorite for Park, but pair them together, get you plus 116 odds, break her down. Yeah, I love Josh Fremd, not just because he was on the show this week, but the dude has got loads of potential. He's got a good wrestling game. He, he just, I really think he's the whole package and he's just a guy who needs a chance to, you know, have a full training camp. Because if you looked at that first fight, you know, he takes that on short notice against Fluffy Hernandez. Not an easy thing to do. So he's fighting Treshawn Gore, a guy who is way less experienced than he is and is like mostly just kind of like a physical specimen who has not really shown he can put it all together yet. So I think Fremd is an absolute steal at negative 190. Uh, and then Jung Young Park. I mean, we've seen that guy put together crazy good performances. He's got the takedowns to go with the knockout power. I love ugly man Joe Holmes, but at the same time, I just really think he's going to have trouble with the physicality of Jung Young Park. So put those two together. I like the plus money you're getting on the return. Boom. Well, we hope we did you right with these picks. We never want to do you dirty, but let us know. Give us some feedback at Top Turtle MMA on Instagram and Twitter. Gumby, we're having fun here. What do we do next? We're going to transition now to my interview with Garrett Armfield, who I regret to inform you pretty much just before taping has pulled out of his bout with Christian Rodriguez. Rodriguez will remain on the card, but we decided to still give you the interview with Garrett Armfield because he's not just talking about the fight coming up with C-Rod, but he's also talking about all the kinds of things that he learned from his last fight in his training camp as well. So we hope you enjoy that. We hope Garrett Armfield gets better and you can hear that interview right now. All right, and joining me today is Garrett Armfield, who fights Christian Rodriguez at UFC Vegas 63. That fight is, of course, on October 29th. So, Garrett, I wanted to start here. Obviously, not the debut you wanted, right? Not a big, long training camp. Instead, you get David Onama on just a few days' notice. While it's not the way anybody wants to get to the UFC, you get to the UFC. What was sort of your big takeaway from, you know, the the less-than-ideal debut? 
Uh, man, it was uh, it was an awesome experience. I'm actually kind of happy the way it happened. Um, you know, honestly, like, the only time uh, it's kind of funny how it happens. The only time that you start to like slack a little bit. Like I went home for uh, Fourth of July weekend, was drinking, have a good time. Is of course when they call. And so, um, you know, honestly, I would want to have anybody else as my debut. It's somebody I've fought before, so it's familiar territory. It's not like I have to go in there and fight some uh, random Russian dude that I've never even heard of, but he's like 30 and 0. You know, so um, uh, it was familiar. It made the transition from the, um, like, the five pass shows to the major leagues even, you know, more smooth. Like, obviously, I didn't get the, the outcome that I was looking for. But at the end, it was um, it was a great experience. I was able to stay calm during the fight. I was able to stay, you know, relaxed and have a great time. Uh, it was it was all kind of rushed because uh, they flew me out that Tuesday night, and I had to do so many medicals and get all my paperwork done. So I didn't really get to uh, soak in the moment as much as I would like. But I'm uh, still very happy with how the entire scenario turned out, how the entire situation turned out. Um, you know, looking back, it was a great fight. I love the fight. Uh, I want to go back and do it again, obviously, because I didn't get the win. But, you know, now I'm just happy to be here, and I'm, I'm happy to continue to get wins. That makes a lot of sense. And, and I was just going to say in there, too, you know, you, you are fighting him for the second time, but your your careers have taken very different paths, right? David Onama, from the last time you fought him, looks like he's bulked way up. You, meanwhile, have cut down a weight class. You're no longer fighting at 45, and you had to go up to 45 to take this fight was there any part of you that kind of liked the idea of cutting a little bit less weight and staying at 45? Because I know this one with Rodriguez is obviously back at 35. Was there any thought about staying there? Uh, staying at 45? No, I, the cut to 35 is extremely easy for me. Um, I have no issues with it whatsoever. Uh, 35, so 45, obviously, I don't think I am the correct size for the 45-pound weight class. Uh, that being said, I still come to fight, and I'll put up a fight no matter who you put me up against. Um, but 35 is my home. It's where I feel the best. Uh, the weight cut's not too bad where I feel fatigued the next day. And so, um, you know, of course, whenever the opportunity calls, you got to jump on it. You know, you can't, you know, once you say no, there's never taking that no back, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And and now I, I wanted to talk a little bit about your training camp, too, because this time you're finally getting a full training camp, right? You're finally getting a full chance to prepare for a real opponent. But I wanted to talk about how you wound up at your training camp. I know you train out of Killcliffe FC, uh, formerly known as Stanford MMA, but I also know you're a Kansas City native, and there's obviously a bunch of gyms in that area as well. What what sort of brought you to Killcliffe, or at the time Stanford, uh, in the first place? So I'm originally from St. Louis, uh, Missouri, and um, I went and trained. Uh, I went to school at Missouri State and was training at Springfield Fight Club. Um, and once I was done with school, um, I was kind of like, man, I really want to travel. I really want to kind of get out of my small town. I want to get out of Missouri and kind of see what the rest of the world is like. Because at that time, you know, my entire world was Missouri. I thought that's what the entire world looked like. I thought that's how everybody interacted with each other. And um, Michael Johnson was a roommate of my head coach down at Springfield Fight Club. And originally I was looking at gyms in Colorado because I, I, I wanted to travel, you know. Uh, they did do have great gyms in Kansas City, but at the same time I had like the travel bug. I wanted to get out. And uh, my coach at the time was like, oh, yo, man, don't go to Colorado. And he's like, go to Florida. They don't have state income tech. The women are very pretty and the weather is nice. And they have a killer training uh, facility there. And so I went down and checked out whenever, before it was Stanford, actually when it was Hard Knocks 365, um, I just kind of packed all my 
stuff into my car and drove down and uh, decided to stay, you know, didn't really get to go test it out. Just was like, all right, well, it's either, uh, you know, sink or swim. And so um, I made myself uncomfortable and I, you know, it pushes you to grow as a person. So that's how I ended up at uh, now known as Killcliff FC. I love it. Now, you, you mentioned being uncomfortable, right? Like forcing yourself to be up against the very best, which is, of course, why a lot of people wind up in that gym. Tell us a little bit about what your training situation looks like now, because obviously we, we could sit here and rattle off 200 names who train out of that gym. But, you know, what 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 does your training situation look like as you prepare here for Christian Rodriguez? Uh, you know, my training situation, it is just surrounded by uh, – quality people um of course the training is going to be great uh i've got world-class coaches world-class training partners like you said we could go on and on about that but i kind of want to talk about and you know, how important like the quality of people that i'm surrounded by you know everybody is looking to build each other up there's no really down uh it's not a quick gym uh if you're part of the team you're part of the team and they really make you feel at home make you feel welcome obviously you have to learn uh earn your stripes you know before you know you start getting a little bit of respect um and so, you know, you got to go the tough rounds with the toughest people in the gym to be able to earn that. But, uh, you know, once you're part of the team, you're part of the team forever for life. Um, you know, constantly people are always trying to build you up. If you come in with a frown, they turn into a smile. Um, you know, it's just great people to be around. And I'm so blessed to be uh, to be able to train with them, you know, because not just outside of training, you know, you hang out with them outside of training as well. It's not somewhere you just train with them and then, oh, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow, whatever. It's like, oh, hey, bro, you want to go get lunch? Yeah, of course. Oh, hey, man, you want to go watch the fight? Yeah, of course. You know, you build lasting, long-lasting relationships, um, you know, ones I'm going to take with me for the rest of my life. And I've definitely learned a lot of life experiences and a lot of life lessons from these people. And uh, it's definitely something I'm going to take with me uh, whenever fighting has passed, whenever that day may come, whenever in 20 years, let's say. Um, you know, I can look back and be like, wow, what a great group of men that I'm surrounded by. And, uh, you know, it's, it's lessons that you can take with you and, uh, you know, apply them to all walks of life. I love that. I love that. And and now we're, we're already talking about the, the times where you're going to walk away. But of course, we came here to talk about the time you're about to walk in the cage, which is, you know, in a couple of weekends against Christian Rodriguez. So, so let's, let's talk about that fight. Christian Rodriguez, you know, if you've seen him fight before, and I'm sure you have by this point, he's a, for, for people who don't know, he's one of those classic Rufus Sport guys, right? He's kind of a flashier striker, likes to jump knees, but he's also got a good submission game on him. What were sort of your first thoughts when you first started, you know, taking a look at Christian Rodriguez as your, your next opponent? When they offered me this matchup and we watched the film, we could not be happier about this matchup. Just to the fact that he comes forward and likes to strike, and so do I. Um, that is literally what I love to do. It's going to be an exciting fight. It's going to be a beautiful fight. Yes, he has good submission game. Um, I also have a great submission game as well. Um, you know, we're ready for anywhere this fight goes against the cage and out in the open. Um, you know, honestly, our plan is what I think uh, is going to happen. What I know is going to happen is he's going to come forward and I'm going to come forward and neither of us are going to give an inch and it's going to be a classic war. I'm telling you that right now. Um, you know, preparing for this fight, obviously, we've checked out every single fight that he's had. Uh, we've looked for tendencies, everything that he does from his uh, submissions, from his chokes. You know, we know that he does good chokes. We know he does leg kicks. We know he has a good right hand. So we've trained precisely to defend against all this and uh, capitalize on the mistakes that he has on his holds. <laughs> 
Well, we are looking forward to that fight. We're looking forward to you two standing in the middle of the ring, swinging. Tell us a little bit about your prediction for the fight, though. I always like to try to get them out of my fighters. How do you see this one ending October 29th? October 29th, it's going to end with my hand raised. Uh, doesn't matter the method. Doesn't matter if it's going to be KO, submission, or decision. All I know is that we are coming for a fight of the night. And if I can get the performance of the night and the fight of the night at the same time, that would be beautiful as well. But I'm telling you, this is going to be fight of the night. We are both stubborn strikers. We don't like to give up an inch. And so it's going to be a great matchup. I think the UFC did an awesome job of putting us together because they want a fight that's going to excite the fans. And that is what we are going to bring. Well, you guys are not going to want to miss this one. And once again, fans, this has been Garrett Armfield, who fights Christian Rodriguez at UFC Vegas 63 on October 29th. Garrett, thank you so much for the time again. I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social and the Picket app. And reminder, you can check us out on social media at Top Turtle MMA and oh, at Top Turtle MMA and Twitter and Instagram. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gubby Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we'll catch you then.